You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Hey everybody, this is the part of the show where I usually rant and rave about something that either annoys or delights me. But I had to record this week's intro in advance because I am away this week and I wasn't able to get into a studio to treat you to some topical two minutes off the top of my head explosion about whatever the Republican Party or Rick Santorum or Mike Huckabee or the Republicans in Colorado or the religious conservatives in Florida, whatever bullshit they pulled this week, I wasn't able to uh, record my reaction to as a treat for you guys at the top of the show. So we're just going to toss in a couple of extra calls to fill up the time. And I'm going to bow out now and wish you guys a great week. I'm having a great week off with some friends uh, and I hope you're having a great week too. And I hope you enjoy this week's Savage Podcast. Hi Dan, this is a 26 year old heteroflexible cis female calling from the biggest city in America. And until yesterday I was in a poly relationship. We were each other's primary partners and he just blindsided me with the breakup. I've been casually dating while he had two regular partners besides me and a slew of other women lined up. I'm pretty much devastated. In the beginning of the month, I moved in with one of his partners, who I adore, and everything seemed to be going well. He was talking to me about what we'll do over the summer and had even suggested a trip to Europe come the fall if we, if we could swing it financially. Everyone I talked to is absolutely shocked, no one more so than me. I guess I'm calling because I know I can do poly, but I feel like I might have been taken advantage of. Within the past two months, my ex has become very popular on a certain social media site, and women are throwing themselves at him. Since we live in such a large city, and a city many people across the world visit, meeting these women is a reality. He gets a lot of adoring attention from his followers, and it bothered me a bit, but I never wanted to police him. I had expressed my displeasure with the site, but told him I supported him because it was something that he liked doing. Last week, he bragged that he had five different names in his calendar that week, and although it made me a little squeamish, I accepted it in him. Over the past few hours of reflection, I don't feel like this was a real poly relationship. It just seems like a free-for-all now, and I got used and left behind. I guess I'm just looking for someone to help process these feelings and or your opinion. Is this a safe and sane type of relationship? I think I'd be willing to do poly again, but with stricter rules and a stronger voice. You don't mention the other men in your life if you're in some sort of polyopen relationship with this guy or any of the other women who are in relationship with this guy having men in their lives. So this looks less like poly and more like dude has a harem or dude is a player, dude is fucking everything that moves or dude is Brigham Young. One of those things. But to me, it doesn't sort of read poly. Just he fucks whoever he wants and he's sort of flying under poly collars, that these are not just casual relationships. It's not just casual sex. It's a relationship. It's a poly relationship. Calling it a relationship but putting you know the poly prefix at the front may be tricking women who might otherwise not want to have sex with him because they wouldn't want to have sex outside a relationship into having sex with him. It just looks like a cad abusing the poly model label, whatever, because a poly relationship 
as I understand it, is a relationship with certain commitments and limitations and mutual obligations, emotional obligations, sexual obligations, that people do place limits on each other in a relationship. There are things that you agree to joyfully, hopefully, happily, limitations that you accept to to, to be with this person. You, you make a commitment and it does place certain, again, limitations on you because – because, because it does, because that person has a claim on some of your emotional bandwidth as Diana Adams, the poly activist and lawyer who's been on, been on the show a bunch, was on the show just a few weeks ago, that people have a limited amount of bandwidth. And if you exceed that sort of relationship bandwidth, then they're not really relationships anymore. And it sounds like this guy's biggest city in the world bandwidth is so packed full of pussy that he doesn't have a relationship with any one of you. But he's conning you into thinking you have some sort of relationship with him, probably so that you don't go out and fuck other people yourself. Doesn't sound like you really were. I assume that if there were other guys in your life, you might have mentioned them. But you didn't. Just this guy. So you wanted help processing it. There's your help processing it. I would say this wasn't a poly relationship at all. Not deserving of either the poly prefix or the relationship word itself. You were being leveraged and used and conned into feeling a little bit better about it because it had a big R on it. Big R stamped on whatever the fuck this was. It wasn't a relationship. It's casual sex. You were being used. Sounds like a lot of women are being used by this guy. Hey, Dan. Straight college female here. I have a question about a guy I might like who is possibly gay. I'm not sure. This guy and I have been friends for a little while, but, well, we've been acquaintances for a little while, not really friends until recently, and even now we really only hang out in groups and not alone, but we get along really well, and he's just fun to be around. I always kind of thought he was gay. I didn't ever get a huge gay vibe from him, but I got a little bit, um, although it could be my imagination, and I also have a friend who told me he was gay. Although, looking back on it, this friend also is incorrect about this kind of thing a lot of the time. This guy has never had a girlfriend that I know of, but he's also never had a boyfriend. Anyway, I didn't pick up any attraction between us until when at a formal I came, I noticed he was looking at me a lot. Like Pretty much every time I looked over at him, I caught him kind of staring at me, not creepily or anything, but looking at me like pretty directly. Um, he, I noticed like he kept finding excuses to touch me, not like creepily, just putting a hand on the shoulder or hand on the back or things like that. And um, it's been a bit like that ever since I keep catching him looking at me and keeps doing that, but nothing more really. I feel like if that's how he does feel, I could be interested back. But if he's also um, maybe is gay and I'm not getting and it's totally I'm misinterpreting or even if he's straight and I'm misinterpreting, that's fine with me too. However, I would like to find out if he's gay or not, but I feel like I can't, I can't ask him that. I don't know him well enough. And if I ask my friends, it'll get back around to him. I don't know why I'm asking and that could get awkward. And even I, I don't know how he would take that. You're never going to get into his pants if word never reaches him that you're interested in getting into his pants. So this awkwardness you fear if you begin to ask around, if you ask your mutual friends, is something that you should be rushing toward. It's awkwardness that you have to embrace because 
potentially embrace because if he's into it, then it's not going to be awkward. You know, even if he is into it, it's still going to be a little awkward because even when people say yes, when you ask them out or you hit on them, there's always a little residual awkwardness. It just kind of built in. So if you're letting fear of awkwardness shut you down, you're never, ever going to get laid ever. So what you need to do, scaredy cat. So what you have to do is you go up to him and you say, I would like to go out with you. And there's awkwardness built into that. Or you ask his friends to find out what's up with him and he may hear about it. It's awkwardness and that. And then you stare it down. If he says yes, Yahtzee, you get to fuck him. And then there'll be the awkwardness of fucking that you can look forward to. And that shouldn't inhibit you. And if he says no, then you all you do, you go to him and you say, if he brings it up, if you ask through friends and you get shut down and he never brings it up, just you don't have to address it. But if you if it comes up, if you ask him out and he shoots you down, or if he comes up to you and says, Oh, I'm sorry that you know I must have been sending out mixed signals, all you say is, Oh yeah, this is gonna be awkward for a few minutes. But we're both adults and we like each other and so let's just power through it. And then you will and it will be fine. But you will never get in his pants or anyone else's if you let fear of an awkward moment or two inhibit you in this way. Awkwardness, embrace it, rush toward it, talk about it, power through it. Hi, Dan. My name is Dan as well. I'm in Austin, Texas. I had a quick question for you. I recently ended a relationship with a girl I had been with for about a year. Uh, the circumstances of the end were she says uh, her feelings for me have changed largely in part due to the fact that we have not had sex in well over a month. The reason that uh, we haven't uh, had sex is because back in January, she slept with her ex-husband, uh, something with which I was able to forgive. And then in March, she was caught uh, sexting several other guys from her past as well. And after that, I had told her, I'm willing to continue trying to work on our relationship, but I think we need to go see a therapist together, something with which she was completely resistant towards. And every time since then where she has tried to initiate sex, I've told her that I right now I'm having a very hard time getting past what's happened. I think that we need professional help and to go talk to somebody. But again, the cycle would just go in circles and nothing would ever get resolved. And two days ago, uh, she ended it. I'm really just looking for feedback, not necessarily looking for a, a be all end all who's right, who's wrong, but I'm just mainly curious, was I in the wrong in any way? I'm surprised that you would ask her to go see a couples counselor in the wake of fucking her ex-husband and sexing with her other exes. Not because I'm opposed to couples counseling. I sometimes recommend it. But to want to invest that kind of time and effort in a relationship with someone who one year in is cheating on you with her exes, uh, probably multiples, not just her ex-husband, probably some of the other exes that she was sexting. Seems like throwing good time after bad seems like a waste. Like she has outed herself through her behavior as a, a, a liar and a, and someone not trustworthy. And okay, and then you were willing to work on the relationship and she was clearly not. And the only mistake that I would say you made was hanging in there long enough to give her the satisfaction of dumping you. You should have left. And – you should have dumped her. Now, of course, I have said and I will continue to say that sometimes cheating happens and we should be able to forgive and move past it. And you know, if you're with somebody for many, many, many years and they commit adultery, infidelity, they cheat on you once or twice, they were pretty good at being monogamous and honoring the monogamous commitment that they had made to you, not bad at it. But this is a year in, less than a year in. 
and she's fucking her ex-husband and she's sexing with other guys and she's not particularly receptive to your touchy-feely, hand-wringy request about how do you want to work on this to salvage the relationship, yeah, you needed to dump her. She did you a favor. She did what you should have done by ending this. And for that, you should be grateful. Hi, Dan. I am a 29-year-old female, and I'm really hoping that you can give me some advice on a sort of tough subject. My best friend and I both drive for one of the major ride-sharing companies, Think app-based taxi service, whose name I won't say for fear of a lawsuit. Anyway, about a week ago, she was sexually harassed and assaulted by a group of two men who she picked up. After enduring the events for nearly a whole 10-minute ride, she kicked them out and filed a complaint with the company. They have since told her that they'll do whatever she needs. They've banned the one rider, the one who requested the ride, and that's that. My dilemma is this. She doesn't want press charges against this guy. I asked her why. She said that she's afraid of what might happen. This fear stems from a lot of things, the words that they use against her and his actions, but mainly because she looked the one guy up on social media and he has a concealed carry license. She's afraid he will kill her. She has also done research about sexual harassment on the job and found that it's much harder to press charges being that we are considered independent contractors. I begged her to contact the police because he will do it again. He may not be allowed to request a ride himself anymore, but he can still ride along if his friend requests. He obviously has no qualms doing it in front of his friend. In fact, his friend participated. I'm afraid that this asshole will request a ride and end up in my car one night. My friend is an amazingly strong and intelligent person, so this decision baffles me, and frankly, it pisses me off. She's allowing these guys to repeat their actions. She's letting them win. How can I convince her to report them to the police? I've told her several times how I feel and that I'm here for her for whatever she needs. I understand and empathize with her fears. But morally, I can't let her not say or do something. The first thing I want to say is I fucking hate guns. And if it was within my power to repeal the Second Amendment, I would in a heartbeat. Um, that your friend in trying to sift through what she should do uh, about having been sexually assaulted by these men has to factor in that one of them has a concealed weapons permit and that makes her that much more afraid of him is just tragic and terrifying. That said, if he didn't have a concealed weapon permit, he could still have a gun. Uh, and even if he didn't have a gun and he didn't have a concealed weapons permit, he could get his hands on a gun in about 11 seconds because this is America where everyone should be presumed to have a gun or have easy access to a gun because everyone pretty much does because we swim in a sea of guns and gun nuts, drive the politics uh, in this country, drive the politicians and terrorize the politicians Anyway, you can't force your friend to press charges. You can't make her do that. You should love your friend. You should support your friend. You should talk to your friend. You should tell her how you feel. You can importune her, but this is ultimately her decision to make. There is sometimes a long gap between uh, a rape or a sexual assault and someone going to the police and filing charges because they were so traumatized and terrorized by that experience and they're wary of compounding their trauma by going to police who may not be sympathetic or may not believe them or you know the prospect of having to face their rapist 
in court and the prospect of their rapist not being convicted potentially or getting off or only getting a short sentence or a slap on the wrist and then knowing that this guy who's already proven himself to be a violent nut is rattling around out there hating your guts. So many layers, so many potential disincentives to report, which is why so many women who've been sexually assaulted don't report. But a lot of women who've been sexually assaulted who didn't initially report eventually do report, sometimes for the reasons you cite, solidarity. And you can appeal to your friend on that level, but you have to do it in a non-angry way. You have to be loving and supportive and tell her you'll have her back regardless of the decision that she ultimately makes while making the case for filing a police report and pressing charges and getting this guy off the streets. And I would encourage you as a driver for this app-based ride service that shall not be named to get some cameras in your cars if possible. And it is possible to have cameras in your cars that you push a button and they record your interactions with whatever, whoever, whatever passengers are in your seat while they're in your seat. And you have digital video, which would be gold if, God forbid, this guy or his asshole friend tried this again with you or some other female driver working for the service. You would have the goods and the drop on him and it wouldn't be a horrifying, he said, she said, re-traumatizing bullshit experience for the victim in that case, but a case closed. Here's the fucking videotape. Lock the motherfucker up. So arm yourselves, not with guns. Arm yourselves with video. Hi, Dan. Uh, my question, or I guess comment, is just about a recent breakup I had. Um, I was dating a trans man, um, which I didn't have any issues with or anything like that. And we broke up, and it was more of me being 24 and him being 19 and still, like, just going through different things in life. But when we broke up, there was a ton of conflict afterwards and him calling me a tranny chaser and just using extremely hurtful and derogatory things. And I just took it as, like, that's how he feels about himself. Um, But I'm still really shooken up about the whole breakup and it makes me feel like I did something wrong that I shouldn't have broken up with him in the way that I did. I now I have a lot of mixed feelings about just like dating a trans person, I guess, again or I don't know. Well if you're gonna rule out a whole group of people because one person from that group said something shitty and hateful and hurtful and untrue when the relationship ended, eventually you won't be able to date any cisgendered people either because presumably you have dated at 24, somebody cis, somebody who's comfortable with the gender to which they were assigned at birth and it ended and they said shitty things to you and it didn't occur to you then to pivot to I will never date another cisgendered person ever again. So let's not pivot from this particular trans guy said shitty things to you and made accusations as the relationship was ending Let's not pivot from that to I will never date trans guys ever again or trans anybody else ever again. This trans guy sounds insecure and sounds douchey, but it's just this guy, this one douchey, insecure trans guy. And let's not convince ourselves, you, caller, don't convince yourself that all trans guys are the way this trans guy is and hopefully won't be forever. He's only 19. 
probably just on testosterone, probably slamming his brain. Hormones are powerful things. There's a lot you can read out there written by trans people about when they first started hormones and how – and the mood swings and the personality changes and all that comes with the transition. If he's in the throes of transition, he may be saying and doing shitty things. And is it that bad to be a tranny chaser? It's bad to objectify people for their transness, to only be interested in that aspect of them. But I don't think it's a bad thing to be attracted to trans people or to be attracted to trans itself. So long as you're able to appreciate everything that person brings to the table, you can click into them in all dimensions, not just that particular thing. Yeah, it sucks to be accused of bigotry. You and I could start a support group, particularly this kind of bigotry, but is not true. Consider the source volatile, teenager, crazy, and don't hold his actions against everyone who, like him, is trans. Oh, Dan, I have some family drama, and I don't know how to sort it out. So I am a mid-20s male from the Midwest, and my boyfriend and I got married uh, almost a year ago. Um, but we decided to be like, fuck it. And we got reeloped instead uh, and didn't tell anybody about it until after the fact. And we had uh, thought about this for a while and we both mutually decided that this is what we wanted to do. And his family, um, they were a little surprised at first and they're fine with it. My family, however, has not had such a kind reaction. My mother completely lost her shit uh, when she found out that I got married and didn't invite her to the wedding that I never had. And she's been guilt tripping me about this for months, basically saying that I don't love her and blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, this eventually escalated to, we had a bit of an argument uh, over texting um, around Christmas time because I ended up having to work over Christmas and she decided that that was just another um, attempt at me and my husband to avoid being part of the family. And my husband caught wind of this and um, they had a huge screaming fit over the phone, which is never fun when two people that you love very much suddenly hate each other. What I'm calling about is my mother is getting married uh, this coming June, and I got the wedding invitation, and my name is the only name on the invitation. And I know that it's not just, you know, one name per invitation, because I saw pictures of my sister's invitation, and her boyfriend of a year is also on said invitation. So I feel like I should go to the wedding. My husband thinks that I shouldn't because of the kind of disrespect that my mother has shown us. And he's saying things like, you need to do something about your mother's lack of respect for our marriage or I will. And I really don't know what to do. My honest reaction? Sounds like you might have eloped with someone who's just as melodramatic and conflict-seeking uh, as the mother who raised you. Somebody has to be the grown-up here and de-escalate. Somebody has to say, I'm going to 
not be the crazy one in the room. And it sounds like both your mother and your husband are committed to being the crazy one in the room. Now, clearly your mother started it with this fit she's thrown about not being invited to an elopement. The whole idea of an elopement is there isn't a wedding ceremony to invite anybody to because you're running away to get married. And most people who run away to get married run away to get married because their relatives are crazy and unpleasant and they don't want to have to deal with them. So your mother has demonstrated that you absolutely made the right choice. The Christmas thing, it just sounds like your mother is determined to treat your marriage as some sort of attack on her. And so the fact that you had to work over Christmas, it wasn't that you had to work over Christmas. It's that you and your husband are conspiring to stay the fuck away from her. And why would you want to stay the fuck away from someone so sane and pleasant and charming as your mom? And now the invitation to your mom's wedding, excluding your husband. Well, that's just not done, right? You don't invite half of a married couple to your wedding. You invite both or you invite neither. If you have siblings, if you have guts yourself, you call your mother and say, I would like to come. I can't come without my husband. Grow up. Grow up. Let's all bury the hatchet. You two husband, you bury the hatchet. Mom, bury the hatchet. None of us are going to be able to have a relationship. Mom, you're not going to have a relationship with me that you say you want, that you're so angry about not having not coming to the wedding, not coming to Christmas. Now you're so furious, but you're doing everything you can to make sure that you're never going to have a relationship with me because you're forcing me to pick between you and my husband. Well, I've already picked my husband, right? When you get married, this is the person that you are committing to for life. And I have picked him. And so you can't have me without him love and accept us both and invite us both to your wedding and stop being such a drama queen. If she can't stop being such a drama queen, and maybe you don't go to the wedding and you nuke your relationship with your mother. Maybe you need to nuke your relationship with your mother. Maybe you need to walk right up to that brink and she sees that she can't drive a wedge between you and your husband by playing these sorts of games. So she stops playing this game and you're going to have to walk right up to the brink, maybe even over it to communicate to your mother that this is the man you're with and you come as a package deal. Now you two together. And she has to accept that. So I guess I'm on your husband's side. Don't go. Don't go to the wedding unless you're both invited. Not that if I were him, I would want to go to that wedding. Hi, Dan. I'm a 40-ish guy, straight, living in the South. I have a question about relationship, actually the ending of a relationship, the closing out of a relationship. I had a long-term, long-distance relationship with a woman who was separated, not divorced, from the father of her adult child. It was a long, complicated relationship, but it was very fulfilling, um, and it was one that I thought was going to last for the rest of my life. Things got complicated. Uh, things got strained. She went through a very difficult, stressful period. She needed a break. She needed to be kind of given her some space. Ultimately, that ended up in the relationship ending, and it wasn't really even like a definitive ending. It kind of took a long, slow fade out, to the point where after she said she wanted to break up and we said we'd remain friends, she stopped responding to texts, phone messages, emails, whatever. I've accepted the fact that the relationship is over. Um, I've got boxes, a couple boxes of stuff, you know, sex toys, things that she kept here at my house, a gift that I planned to give her when I was going to propose to her. Anyway, I've moved on. 
Uh, it's been six, nine months since then. I've dated around. Uh, I've met someone who's great. I'm completely in love with. I'm ready and, and looking forward to moving on with this new relationship. And it's fantastic. The question I have is about this moving on, this closure. Do I send her this box, these boxes of stuff? Is it just, just going to hurt her, the ex, more to get that stuff in the mail from me? Uh, I have written her a letter telling her that I still care for her, that I still would like to have her in my life in some capacity, but no response to the letter. So my question for you is, do I just throw away the stuff? Do I keep it? Do I send it to her? I'm not sure what to do. Um, I would like to have a point of closure, though. When you say you want a point of closure, I worry that what you're hoping for is to leverage this box of shit, whatever it is that you have for some FaceTime where you guys can have a conversation that maybe she doesn't want to have. And she actually technically doesn't have to have with you. Closure is not a gift we're given. It's not a gold watch you get when you retire from a relationship. Closure isn't something the other person owes you. So closure is something that you do for yourself. You close it. So you close this thing and you will have all the closure that you need. You put a lid on it. You shut the lid. You fucking close it. Send her a note. What do you want me to do with this box? I'm going to leave it on the porch. It's here at a, this place where you can pick it up. If you don't have a porch where you can leave it, find a place where you can leave it, where she can retrieve it without having to interact with anyone and leave it there. I've left it at the front desk of my office. The receptionist has it. Just come and give your name. They'll give it to you. Whatever it is, just put it in a place where she can easily get it and tell her she has a month. And if it's still there at the end of a month, you're going to give it to Goodwill, whatever it is. It's a box of mementos and valuables and things that you could reasonably assume she cares about and might like to have back. That is the courteous closure obtaining way to return it to her, right? Because you don't want to be the bad guy who threw away her mother's wedding photo album or whatever it is that's in the box. If it's a box of cleaning supplies and half-used rolls of paper towels and a couple of pairs of stained yoga pants, things that no rational human being probably ever wants to see again – then you holding on to this box and hoping to get some closure from whatever handoff ritual you imagine you're entitled to is just a little crazy. So depending on what's in there, if it's just that, like cleaning supplies and some dirty pants, throw it away. If it's decent things, give her that option of picking it up someplace, but put it in a place where she doesn't necessarily have to see you. Maybe you'll get a thank you note that then you can look at and say, ah, closure, but probably not. She'll probably just come grab it sometime when she doesn't have to see you. Hi, Dan. I'm 23, living in the Bay Area, and so I've been hooking up with this guy. I'm actually in his house right now. He just left. Um, and I just have a couple of questions about how to kind of navigate like the really good sex that we're having. Um, he's 30. He's a little bit older than me. Um, and I'm super GGG, really like willing to do whatever, maybe not whatever, but I'm willing to do most things. And so like, while we're fucking, he's really into me talking about, you know, him sucking another guy's dick or like kind of wants a finger in the ass. And, you know, like I'm super fine if he's like a little bit bi, heteroflexible, whatever. And we were talking last night and he mentioned that he has taken it in the ass once sucked maybe like three or four dicks. So I'm probably assuming he sucked like five to 10 dicks and gotten fucked in the ass like 
you know, more than once, which is once again, totally fine to me, but how do I kind of understand if he's actually into women or just like kind of waiting to be into men because I actually really like him and I do want to be able to like give him the things he needs sexually because he gives me what I need sexually and I kind of just don't know how to tell if he's gay or not and like I just I don't know like maybe I'm just having the best sex of my life with a gay guy are you are you still dating this cocksucker um kind of like so the deal with that is like he is a little bit older than me. I'm 23. He's like 29. And like, he was at like very different points in our lives. So we're just like consistently fucking pretty much. That's awesome. Uh, this is the, I, yeah. I'm calling you cause I had a follow up question. I think it really cuts to the heart of the matter here. And I'm surprised you didn't mention it. If it, Cause this is really, I, I think important and it will shed a lot of light on this situation. Does this guy eat your pussy? Hundred percent. He's not a faggot. He is not. He's not <laughs> fucking your pussy, eating your pussy, wishing it was a dick, and fucking you, and pretending you're a guy. He's obviously oh, bi God. or into some sort of forced bi scenario that turns him on, and that's awesome. That's, that's wonderful. Cool. And if you're into the idea of this guy sucking a dick in front of you, Yahtzee, you guys win. Match. Yeah, I mean, game. it doesn't. It doesn't turn me off at all. It's just like. I don't know, like, sometimes, like, when it's, like, really, like, going and it's just really fucking going, it's just, like, you know, tell me all of these things, you know, like, talk about incorporating guys. Like, I just have no idea what to say. You know what I mean? Like, I've tried to watch, like, a little bit of gay porn, like, maybe, like, figure out, like, good things to say there, but I just come up blank, and it just, it makes it awkward sometimes. Well, then you turn that back on him, and you say, tell me the dirty cocksucking things you've done. I want to hear about them. That's really make, good make him say it. Because you'll have a better idea of what it is he wants and what it is that turns him on if he's unspooling it. He's kind of asking you to, you know, uh, shoot into the dark and try to hit the bullseye of whatever his fantasy scenario is around uh, this kind of by play, right, for him. And, and that's yeah, not yeah. fair. That's not fair to expect you to to, to hit that bullseye in a, in a completely dark room. He needs to shed some light on what exactly it is about these scenarios that turn him on. What's he done? What does he want to do? And that yeah. can be clinical, like just like unpack your fantasies for me. You can do it via email. But if he wants to dirty talk it and incorporate it into the sex that you're having, that would be great. And yeah. it would be yeah. very helpful because then you'll have a better idea of when he wants you to spin out some dirty talk while you guys are fucking of what it is that he wants to hear. And then you can expand upon it and fold in some of the things that you would like to maybe see or do if you were to have a three-way with another guy. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm I'm into it. Like, I just don't know, like, how I'm going to react to it. But, like, to be honest, I'm kind of turned on. So, like, I can't, like, I won't knock it till I try it kind of a thing. I'm, I'm so into it. Right. But I have another question for you. Like, super, super, like, I'm not really good with, like, the butt play. And, like, he wants me to incorporate it. Like, and I have acrylic nails. So, it's like, is that going to hurt him? Like, I don't you, really you know a, how to, Wait, like, you have a what? Fake nails, you know, like acrylics. Oh, oh, yeah. You're not going to want to yeah. put a uh, claw up his ass. Yeah, um, that's what I'm saying, right? I, I think the butt toy that you want, and you said, I believe that you're in the Bay Area, so I, I think they're in vending machines on street corners. Just go get a butt plug, <laughs> where, which is something oh, you can just oh pop into his ass. And is there a submissive streak to this whole like him sucking dick thing that, that that's part of it, that he wants to be made to um, or ordered to? I... 
I think he likes that a little bit. Like, we haven't really unpacked any of this at all, kind of thing. It's just me, like, totally shooting into the dark, saying, like, a line or two and, like, hoping, like, that works out. And sometimes he runs with it and sometimes he doesn't, you know? This is a minefield you guys are stomping around in, and you don't have a map. I know. And you need to, you need to yeah. draw that map. It doesn't mean you have to be clinical and cold about everything. It doesn't mean you have to script out every moment, every impulse, every dirty scenario you're going to throw out. But you need to know, you know roughly where the landmines are. And if he's not into this being Dom Subby at all or humiliation isn't a part of it, then you suddenly busting that out could make him feel judged, shamed, traumatized – Whatever. Totally. And so you need to like find out if that's part of it for him because if not, you're not going to go there. But if it is, you could go there. And so you need to have a convo about it. Right yeah, now, it sounds like definitely. you need to keep fucking on it. Like they say, we're praying on it. You can keep <laughs> fucking on it, but you should stop doing the talking and he should start. And dirty talk can definitely. be you, you say everything I want to hear, but dirty talk can also be ask me questions and I'll answer them. Yeah, I do like, you know, like I've taken your advice in the past, you know, like uh, tell me what you want to do to me, like what I am going to do to you, you know, like the basics kind of there, but just like shooting into like the guy on guy realm with like the incorporation of girls a little bit hard for me. So well, then, definitely well, going to. Dirty talk for beginners to, you know, you say what you're going to do, you say what you're doing, you say what you did. I'm going to fuck you. I am fucking you. I just fucked you. Right. This kind of yeah. dirty talk is tell me what you did while I'm doing mm-hmm. this to you. And then I'll tell you what I'm going to do to you in the future. Right. Tell me about the dicks you've sucked while I fuck you or while I suck your cock. And then I'm going to dirty talk back at you by telling you that we're going to do X, Y, or Z in the future. Maybe build a little bit on the scenario that he laid out for you. Add a couple of details of your own that might turn you on. So it's a little bit of a variation on tell me what you're going to do. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me what you did. It's you tell me what you did. I'll tell you what I'm doing and then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I like that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Dan. Like, thank you so much for calling me because I've been thinking about this for the past week and a half because I'm supposed to see him a little bit later tonight too. I casually left my watch at his house. I'm like, oh, shit, I have to come pick it up, whatever. I don't, I don't know what I was going to do. Well, swing, but I've been s- contemplating on this for a while. Swing by good vibrations and buy him a little vibrating butt plug and present it to him and tell him you want to see it in him. But he's going to put it in it. Say here, go put this in, and then come back with your with your ass full. With your ass full of a vibrating cell down. And then you're gonna eat my pussy while I tell you about the dick I'm finding for you to suck or whatever. Good luck. Thank you. Bye, Dan. But one more time, he's not a fag. He's eating your pussy. He's fucking your pussy. He's into you. He's also into dick. That is not faggot. Into pussy. Eats pussy. Likes women. Likes men. That's bye. Okay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck. There are scientists, sex researchers, psychologists, doctors out there trying to figure out why we do what we do, why we screw what we screw. Uh, And every once in a while, they publish the results of one of their findings, one of their big studies, and we like to have them on the show when they do to tell us what they got. Joining me by phone, Andreas Bernowski, a scientist from the University of Mainz. Mainz? Mainz? Am I mispronouncing that? Mainz. Mainz. Part of his research focuses on issues surrounding gender and female-male courtship behavior. So, uh, Andreas, what do you have for us? What do you got? 
Well, I published a new study in the Archives of Sexual Behavior. Um, it's basically a replication of the Clark and Hatfield study, but it goes further than that. Okay, wait, wait, wait. For, for everybody out there who's not a scientist, what was the Clark and Hatfield study and what did it find? Well, well, maybe you know the song, the, the quite the, the famous song, Would You Go To Bed With Me from um, Touch and Go. Where, um, basically, that's the study. They went out, they asked people, male, female, student, went out, they asked um, people on the campus if they were interested to either have a date with them or have sex with them. And it turned out that they have found quite a big gender difference. Men were willing, to, quite willing to sleep with women if they were approached on campus, while uh, women weren't that willing at all. And just, well, no, no, no female participant agreed to have sex. So women, w- women walked up to men and said, want to fuck, and a lot of men said yes, and men walked up to women and said, want to fuck, and not that many women said yes. None of them said yes. But None of them said yes. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So that's what we did here as well, um, just that we went a bit further. So we replicated this study, and we went out in 2015. The study, the original study was done in 1989, so it's quite a bit back. Um, so we went out, we replicated, and we found the same results. But I was startled by these findings because my experience with um, friends is that it's not that women in general don't want to have sex with men. It's just that the situation seems really weird to them to be approached like that. So what we did, we tried to produce a better situation where they could, if they wanted to, agree to have sex. Um, we first did that by going into clubs and student bars and approached females as well as males again. Um, We still found the close to zero finding that women weren't that willing to have sex with strange men. Um, So we invited them to our our laboratory and we tried, we we made up a whole cover story about why they should come to our laboratory and that there were men that wanted to sleep with them. Um, And in that case, when it was a safe environment, Suddenly, almost all of the women agreed to have sex Wait, with at least one of the, the men. The women thought it was a safer environment to be invited to a laboratory where there were men who wanted to have sex with them? All right. I, I might have to, to um, talk a bit more about that. So what we did, we, we, made, we sent out an email on, on the student um, email account, and we, we, we asked people if they want to participate in our study. And when people agreed, they were usually single, obviously, so that makes a difference. They agreed they wanted to participate they came to our laboratory. Um, well, first we asked them to send us a picture. We made up a whole cover story that um, we are cooperating with a big company and we want to, um, you know, we want to evaluate uh, courtship behavior. So, oh, so, when- so they weren't told come to the laboratory and someone's going to want to fuck you. They were no, they were told come to the laboratory and we want to. We're doing some research on exactly. human courtship and uh, and they did and they came and then you did what? Yes. And then we showed them pictures of 10 men or 10, 10 women, and we said um, either they want to meet you, what they basically expected, or we told them, yes, they agree, they want to fuck you. They, they agree to have sex with you. Um, so, and, and then we asked if, if they're interested in that and that they would meet them in a safe environment. We would provide that environment. We would be there in the beginning and then would leave them to do whatever they want. And, of course, they could... Um, always stop participating if they wouldn't feel um, safe or wouldn't feel like it um, at some point. And then we left them alone with the pictures to choose whoever they wanted to meet. And what did you find? You, uh, again, the men probably were like, yeah, awesome, I'll fuck all of them. What did the women <laughs> say? Well, this time it was basically we, we, we didn't find big gender difference. We found from the 10 pictures, men in average choose 
four women to have sex with. And from the 10 men, women choose an average three men to have sex with. So, um, and that's like, you know, of the, of the, of the 30 women we asked, um, 29 of them said they want to have sex with at least one of the men on the picture. And this is important because with that original study, and I'm familiar with the original study, what, what people drew from that, the conclusions people drew from that were women were less horny, women were less interested in sex, women were less impulsive. And what your study seemed to have found, which I always thought was obvious, you know, some woman comes up to you on campus and says, want to fuck. A guy isn't going to fear for his life. A guy isn't going to have to worry about being raped necessarily. Yes. He's not the one who's going to get pregnant. If things go wrong, but all of those risks disproportionately of sexual violence, intimate partner violence, you know, it's mm. a lot riskier for a woman to fuck a stranger than it is for a guy to fuck a stranger. That's absolutely right. And there's also the psychological burden that you might, someone might see you on campus, you know, uh, slut shaming is, is a real thing and it, it's uh, quite problematic. And so you created a scenario that took all of those fears away, that it was not, you weren't in any risk, it was no danger it was a very safe environment. And what you found was women were nearly as likely to be as just as horny and, and up for sex as guys. Uh, th that's basically what we found, yes. We, I, have to, I have to say, I mean, the second study, the, 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 there were less participants. And also all of the people who agreed to participate in the study knew they would, they would be in a study for courtship behavior. Though obviously it's, it's a slightly selected um, population. I mean... It's just, just for the generalization. Like, if you would approach uh, on the street, you wouldn't get that sample of women, probably. So there's a slight bias, I, I would say. If you approach women on the street, you're, you're not going to be able to control for fear, basically. And, 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 and Exactly. And yes. it's a rational fear. I've said this a lot to, to straight guys. Straight guys will say, to me as a gay guy, wouldn't it be great if women were just as up for sex and just as impulsive as gay men? It's so hard for us to get laid to compare to you guys. You know, you're sleeping with other men. Men are always down for sex. It's so hard for us. And I always turn to them and say, make the world a safer place for women and more women will say yes. If, yes. if, go, if going home with a guy means risking your life, you're going to be a lot less likely to go home with a guy. Even if it's a tiny risk but a real impalpable one, rape, intimate partner violence, sexually transmitted infections uh, pass more easily from male to female than the other way. And certainly if anybody gets pregnant, it's not going to be you. If you make the world a better place where she has access to birth control and abortion and we, are, we have combated rape culture and, and turned it back and women are much less fearful for their safety, women will be more hornier and down for sex more often than they are right now. All these risks fall on her. It's fascinating that you were able to take this study that – I think it's been misconstrued for a long time that people have pointed to it and said women are less horny. And no, no, no. Women are more fearful. That's Exactly. And that's what your study shows, that if you can control for the fear, if you can make a, a women feel safer, they're likely to act on their equivalent to male levels of horniness and desire. Exactly. Even though I wouldn't say that the level of horniness is equal. I mean, there's you can't ignore the studies that have been done before and there have been done really good studies that show that men are just more likely in general to have, to want to have sex with new partners with a variety of partners and also when they age and for a longer time they they want to engage in in uh, sexual intercourse um so i don't think we we show that that's not true at all we just show that it's sexual interest is very dependent on uh, sec on on the situation and it's a very flexible set sexual strategies and yes, I, I, as you said, the, the original study was being misconstrued um, because it's just one scenario and you can't 
make this whole narrative of about male female sexuality from that one study. Okay, thank you so much for yes. for coming on and sharing the the results of this fascinating study. Really appreciate it. It's really it's awesome. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi Dan, I'm a 28-year-old gay male uh, living on the West Coast. I've been in a relationship for almost 3 years. About 1 year ago, I went to a spa um, because there was a Groupon. My boyfriend was out of town at the time for work. Little did I know at this Korean spa, it was mostly gay slash bi men cruising. While in the steam room and dry sauna, I noticed other guys were starting to jerk off. I ended up joining in. I didn't touch anyone. I just enjoyed the excitement and the view. The visit to the spa that day opened a whole new world to me that I didn't know existed, nor had I ever thought about. The visit to the spa that day led to many, many more visits without my boyfriend's knowledge. However, he found the Groupon and asked if I would like to go, not knowing that I had already been there, and I nervously agreed. We went, and the same thing happened, and we both enjoyed it. I continued to go by myself without his knowledge. In August of last year, he found out that I was going without his knowledge. I thought he was going to break up with me. I was scared and felt very ashamed. However, it ended up getting worse. I ended up going back to the spa, but instead of just watching, I started touching and receiving and rarely giving oral sex. Then I started going to different masseuse who offered exotic massages. I did that three times. Finally, I hired a male escort and had sex with him. Our sex life has been suffering before this all started. I'm very sexual and he is not. I've asked for us to have sex or do something sexual at least once a week. We've gone months without any sort of sexual activity in the past. I believe the lack of sexual satisfaction was the catalyst to going to the spa. In February of this year, my boyfriend found out that I'd been going to the spa again. I confessed and said I also received and gave oral. He asked me to get tested. I got tested and came back positive for syphilis. I still didn't tell him everything. He asked if I had sex with anyone and I lied. I told him it wouldn't happen again and I meant it. However, I have gone again. I've gone three times since our last discussion in February. This past weekend, I told him everything. I told him about the happy ending massages, the escort, all the times I've been to the spa, everything. And I've broken his heart. Dan, I've never done something so awful and I used to be a better person than this. And I want to be a better person than this. I love my boyfriend, but I understand the damage I've done. I know I can do better. I want to do better. If he gives me this last chance, I will do better. I'm so sorry for what I've done and ashamed of who I've become. My question is this. Do you believe people can change? And if they can change, do you believe people can be given third chances? So let your call be a lesson to everyone out there that when you go in for testing, it's not just HIV that you need to be tested for. Syphilis, some people are exposed to it. They don't know they're exposed to it. Maybe they show symptoms momentarily, but then those symptoms go away and they don't even realize it. And untreated syphilis can be very, very dangerous. So I'm glad that you went and got tested and found that you'd been exposed to uh, syphilis and presumably you got treated, correct? Correct. That's the most important issue here, I think. The other issue, your relationship, it sounds like you need to face up to the fact that you guys aren't sexually compatible and you're not going to be good partners to one another. And that, you know, it's not so much that you went to this spa and everything that you did there. It's, 
and I don't want to, you know, give you a pass by saying the sexual neglect or rejection drove you to do this thing and to, you know, do these things and be deceitful in the way that you were. And it sounds like you didn't need to be deceitful in that way because he went with you once and might have been up for going with you again. Correct? Correct. So, you know, just the bedrock issue here, taking everything else off the table, like the crazy Korean spa where all this crazy stuff goes down and the sex worker and the syphilis, the, the, the bedrock issue here is sexual incompatibility. Right? Uh, I feel like it's more just like I, I had I just disclosed, you know, what I needed, um, then we, we would have been on the same page. Um, so had I been honest... You know. So why weren't you honest? Why weren't you disclosing? Why weren't you um, asking I was for raised, what you needed? I was raised in an um, extremely religious family um, where things like that were um, uh, attached with a lot of shame and pushed under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just feel like I still struggle with a lot of fear and shame when it comes to stuff like that. So in the grand Christian tradition, easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Easier to go to confession and, you know, lay your sins on the table and ask for absolution than to just be direct about what it is you want. This does seem to become, you know, now that you frame it that way, this can come from a, a place of shame, this kind of acting out, suppression, you know, the religious zap that can be placed on someone's head. You can only push things down so long before you begin to act out in, in weird ways and sometimes self-destructive ways. Does your boyfriend see that? Is he, you know, this third chance that you want him to give you? Is he willing? Is are you guys still talking? Uh, yeah, we're still talking. Uh, we're not sure where things are going to go. We we both really care for each other. Um, but are you compatible? And, uh, it's okay. It's fine to care for each other. Are you sexually compatible? Do you want roughly the same stuff at roughly you know a similar enough clip? Uh, when there's honesty and when there's disclosure, yes, we're compatible. So. You need to push through your hangups around asking for what you want. That's the problem. That's. I feel like that's. Yes, that's. I feel like that's the main issue. And it was easier to ask for what you wanted from people you didn't know in this spa than from him. Unfortunately, yes. And that probably has a lot to do with your upbringing, because you know you don't want him looking at you and thinking you're a dirty pervert because his opinion matters to you because he's part of your life and you love him. And these people in the spa, you're never going to see ever again. You don't care what they think of you. Absolutely. And they're not going to judge you because they're doing the exact same thing you're doing. Absolutely. What kind of sex do you have when you have sex with your boyfriend? The first word that comes to my mind is intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, is it exciting? Like it's, there's a, yeah, absolutely. Um, like there's a connection there. Uh-huh it makes me feel like I'm connected with someone that I really care about. Were you able to do things with these people you didn't care about that you haven't allowed yourself to do or haven't allowed yourself your ask your boyfriend to do with you? No, not at all. Okay. So there's nothing you were getting from these guys at the spa that you couldn't get from your boyfriend if you asked. Correct. Or initiated. Um, I, I would try to initiate, but I got rejected a lot. Has he taken any responsibility for that? Not that it, absolves you of your responsibility for what you did? Have you guys talked about the, I would ask you would shut me down. I would ask you would shut me down stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. What does he say? Um, he's apologized for that and he, he has recognized that, um, he's done that. 
Um, but he and I agree with him that that's not um, the full catalyst to all of it. If that makes sense. Well, I, I'm on his side with that. I, I also agree. I just want to see if we can't get you both to a place where whatever you're doing that you enjoy is happening often enough where you don't feel shut down. Not that that is an excuse for running around behind his back, but it could have been a contributing factor. I remember having a conversation with him before any of this happened, you know, like, let's make an appointment like once a week, you know, um, he doesn't remember that conversation, but I do. And so, like, I feel like I've tried to, you know, like, hey, I need this. What if you never get it? What if he's a once-a-month guy? You know, and and that's kind of, like, it's been, at one point, I think, like, two months, you know? Yeah, can you be happy in Can you be happy in that relationship if you only have sex? You know, because what often happens, or what typically happens, almost invariably, when there's a, a huge disconnect in libido, is you end up having sex as often as the person with the lower libido wants it. Um, I... I I think we would need to have a conversation and make arrangements um, for what we will do in that kind of situation. Like whether it could be an open relationship, whether you could get sex elsewhere? Um, I think that's an option. I don't want to see that happen. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's an wait, option, wait, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Why, don't you, why wouldn't you want to see that happen? You wouldn't want an honest open relationship. You just had a dishonest open relationship. I, I know, I know. So why wouldn't you want an honest one? I I, I do want an honest one. Um, I, no, I, I, meant, I, I meant an I, honest, I open relationship. Why wouldn't you want an honest, open relationship? I just threw that out as a possibility, and you rejected it. You dismissed I, I think it because I have the. I, I think I have the romanticized idea of you know like monogamy. I know you're not about that, but like I have this romanticized idea. You wait, know, wait, like just, uh, wait, wait, wait. I'm not about it. No, no, no. That's you're okay. not about it either. No. No, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. You, I, I have a romanticized idea of that I will grow old with this one other person. There will be no one else, you know. But I think I have to also accept the reality that that, that there are other options that would allow us to maintain a healthy relationship. Um, and one of those options is openness, you know, right. to other things. And I'm so that's sorry, I, I worded that very well. Well, no, no, no. That, that's an option you've already accessed. You've already opened the relationship. You, you you did by the choices that you made. So, and you were no less in love with your boyfriend after going to that spa multiple times than you were before you went to that spa. Correct. That's why you want to stay with him so desperately. Correct. So there was nothing about getting some, you know, scratching that itch outside the relationship that took anything away from the relationship necessarily. So I think you need to like reframe your own understanding of what openness can mean. Or what, you know, what it does and doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you love your boyfriend less. It doesn't make it any less possible that you could stay with him together and get old together. True. So, you know, there's, there's what you're doing now that doesn't work, where you're having sex once a month, if that. And then there was what you were doing at the spa, which didn't work because it involved deceit. If you pull out the deceit piece, if the spa becomes a place where you can go together where the spa becomes – and I'm using spa here to mean sex with other people generally. If this is something you can do without having to lie or sneak around, that you can be honest and open about, and it, it allows you to stay together and stay content, then sleeping with other people becomes a thing that saved your relationship, not the thing that destroyed your relationship. It becomes a thing that allowed you to stay together and grow old together. Sure. So I'm just – I'm packing that as an option. If what you want is monogamy – 
go for it. You might have to go get it with somebody else, though, because if what you want is monogamy, because you believe that, you know, says commitment and seriousness, you're not going to be able to do it with somebody who wants sex once a month when you want sex once a day. Correct. Because you will drive each other crazy. And you will become very unhappy. And in your frustration, you will sabotage the relationship in this way or some other way. So, You're right. you know, you can say to somebody with a high libido, have a lower one. You can say to somebody with a low libido, have a higher one. It doesn't work. What we say to people or what we should say to people, what more sex advice slingers should say to people is prioritize sexual compatibility, at least in the early stages of the relationship. It's hugely important. Because sexual incompatibility makes people miserable as it's making you. The rejection, the acting out, it's making you miserable, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you guys need to have a conversation about, you know, if we love each other, not sexually compatible. How do we work around that sexual incompatibility? Is it openness? Is it something else that I don't know what that other else would be, but is it something else? Or is it we aren't the right people for each other, we'll be good friends and very much loving and supportive of each other all our lives, but we're not romantic partners. This is a thing that has to – this is a piece that really does – you have to prioritize. You have to make this work, particularly if, as you just said, you want a sexually exclusive, monogamous, long-term relationship. Then by God, you have to prioritize sexual compatibility. Yeah. It's at least as important as everything else. The love, right? It's at least as important. It, it, it goes hand in hand. If what you want out of that love, yeah. loving relationship is sexual exclusivity, if you place such a high value on that. Yeah. So I think the choice you have to make here is what do you value more? Your relationship with this guy or your ideals around sexual exclusivity and monogamy over the long term? Because I think you could have this guy if there were accommodations. I don't think you could have monogamy and have this guy. You've already proven that. Sorry to be harsh. No, no, no. I, I, I need the input, and I need people who can think beyond the way I think. You know. Um, and I just want one more thing. I, I want to add, and I'm getting the I've gone on too long. Look from everyone in the room, but fuck them. What they know? <laughs> Whatever you were doing, you know sneaking off to the sauna, hiring sex workers, happy ending massages. It sounds like it got a little out of control and a little reckless Yeah, that you were binging in this time that you were allowing yourself to just sort of eat up as much sex as you possibly could. Cause you weren't getting enough in your relationship and you're going to gorge yourself and then go home where you're starving. Right? So when we talk about potentially opening this, as you have now learned your lesson with contracting syphilis, it's going to have to be much more controlled much less frequent and much safer than it was the way you were doing it. You were being reckless and careless and that is all bundled up with the deceit and the shame, pull out the deceit, pull out the shame. And then you can approach it from a rational, much more thoughtful controlled and in a much safer way. So when I talk about openness, I'm not saying get back to the spa and do as you were doing that there's a different way to do this. There's also a way potentially that you two can do this together and it might fuel your fire. It may ignite your fire. Maybe three ways are more alluring to him than two ways. And if you're having lots of three ways, he'd be much more up for, I, I don't know. You never know what can unlock somebody. But if, if there's nothing there to unlock, if he's just a once a month, once every other month, three times a year guy, an accommodation, or you're going to need a different boyfriend. Good luck. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, Dan. I am a 29-year-old straight female, and I just had a sort of general societal question for you. Bit of background, I have been dating this guy for two years, and we recently took a break because he was just sort of that guy that didn't really engage emotionally and didn't want to communicate. But on paper, he was a very good guy. He had a good job. He didn't treat me poorly. He wasn't ignorant. He didn't say mean things. Um, But he he worked away during the week. So we didn't get to see each other during the week. We only had the weekends together. And during those times, we never talked about anything. Now, when... I finally had had enough and we took a break. I sort of got chastised by a lot of my friends and family in saying that this guy is not emotionally involved enough, but listen, he's a good guy. He has a good job. He doesn't treat you badly. But my point was that, sure, I have been treated worse, but I have also been treated better. I have also been with men that are over eager to fill and fantasize their futures with me and that's something that I've always enjoyed and and even when it doesn't work out that's not something that I look back upon with regret so I wanted to get your your views on this I feel like there is a pressure for me to sort of settle for this guy that's just not going to be bad to me but that doesn't necessarily fulfill all of my emotional needs and that I feel as if I'm being shamed for being a woman who has needs that are of an emotional nature, you know, that I'm not being that cool girl that that doesn't have needs, emotional needs. So I wanted to get your take on this and see if maybe I am just being a little overly emotional. Things are, things are okay now. He's, he's opening up a little more. But, yeah, I feel a little bit betrayed by my family and friends that have sort of asked me to settle. And I wanted to see what you thought about that. I wish I could get some of your family and friends on the phone and hear about what your past relationships have been like. Which is not to you know, doubt your description of events, just to be able to place or contextualize their advice for you at this moment. You know, here you are, you with this guy, he's gainfully employed. That seems to be important to everyone. And he treats you well. And that seems to be very important to everyone, which has me wondering if the other guys you've been with in the past that your family and friends have supported you during and through those relationships, maybe didn't treat you so well, maybe weren't gainfully employed. And so they look at this guy and they're like, oh my God, he's great. All this drama with these guys who treated you like shit, who mooched off you. Here, this guy, this guy gainfully employed and not an asshole. Maybe you should think about this guy. And then to see you walk away from that guy because he doesn't meet all of your emotional needs or he's not that open emotionally, they don't, they can't sort of understand why that's as important an issue to you as apparently it is. I'm not siding with your family or your friends. You're allowed to prioritize the things that you want in relationships. Just be careful that you don't confuse drama and chaos and long, dark nights of the soul, Ingmar Bergman shit, bearing and tears for emotional openness and availability. 
some people, young people, not all young people, but some people and typically young people confuse drama with love, confuse conflict and fighting and the resolution with passion. And that's a dangerous conflation. You don't want to mix those things up because life will provide you with plenty of drama all by itself. Life has a way of engineering drama and producing drama. And so if your relationships, if what you're seeking is drama, then when life leaps out at you with some drama that you hadn't anticipated or ginned up, you're not going to be able to handle the drama of your relationship and the drama life is presenting you with as well. So perhaps your family is shaming you around you wanting to prioritize someone who can meet your emotional needs. Or perhaps your family having witnessed and your friends having witnessed all of this chaos in past relationships, if indeed they were chaotic, is wondering why now that you found someone who's loving and supportive and not chaotic, after complaining about the chaos and drama in your past relationships, you're walking away from him for those reasons. One final thing for you to think about. You say you don't want to settle for a guy who isn't going to meet all of your emotional needs, then you can't have a guy ever because no guy will ever be able to meet all of your emotional needs. No other human being all on their own can do that for another human being all on their own. That's not how relationships work. People who come into relationships with that expectation that, ah, here is the person who will meet all of my sexual needs, all of my emotional needs, all of my social needs, they are going to be very disappointed in that person. They are never going to be in a relationship that works because their expectations are fucked because no person can do that for you. So to find a guy who meets your needs sexually, uh, who's there for you, who's a good guy, who's gainfully employed, can meet your needs financially, who isn't an asshole, who can meet your need not to be abused, that's sort of a photonegative need, but you know what I mean? And then to get tap friends, family, other people, other relationships to meet some of your emotional needs that he right now isn't capable of meeting even as he's opening up to you and becoming more emotionally available to you. That's not a bad setup. That's actually a great setup. So I'm not saying, you know, maybe you misspoke. Maybe you didn't mean it. He has to meet all of your emotional needs to be your partner. But in case you didn't mean that, and I've heard people say that who absolutely mean it, you need to let that go. That's an unrealistic, unworkable expectation. All of your relationships will fail if that is your expectation. Anyway, food for thought. That's what you asked for. That's what I gave you. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a 32-year-old bisexual polyamorous man living on the East Coast. And uh, I'm in a lot of pain right now. I was with a girl for about seven months, and uh, it was both for our first time in a poly relationship. She had another partner she was with almost as long as she was with me, and pretty early on, we both rejected the notion of primary or secondary hierarchy, and that was my idea. I didn't like the idea that my relationship with her was somehow more special or more important, so now my partner decided that she wanted to make her girlfriend primary and have me take a step back. I didn't think that I was willing to do that and she didn't have a an offer of what that could look like. And uh, so for now, I ended things not feeling like I could, I could take that step back to a place of lesser importance. I can't pretend that I that I'm as firm on that as I am, am telling her. I guess what I want to know is how 
how does one make that transition in a way that's healthy and not just accepting what's offered to hold on? I don't know. Sometimes I just don't know. Don't know the answer. I don't know how you accept being downgraded to secondary from equal to, you know, being in a relationship with someone who's in a relationship with someone else and it having having it on the table from the outset that there will be no primaries and then that person changing their mind and deciding that there will be a primary and that person who's going to be the primary is not you. I don't know how you experience that as anything but a painful not quite a rejection because she didn't quite reject you, but a painful downgrade, right? You got bumped from first class to coach and that sucks. Seems to me that you guys weren't on the same page uh, about Polly. Uh, not, I think maliciously on her part, maybe she was still figuring it out. Maybe Polly is new to her, new to you guys. Maybe she thought that she would just want to love everyone equally and there wouldn't be anybody in her life that she valued more than anyone else in her life. And now she knows better. And so people got hurt. You got hurt. That's what happens in relationships. It's crazy. I, I want to say you got dumped and being dumped is painful and being dumped always sucks. But in, the, in this way, you kind of didn't get dumped. You were offered less than you believed you had and were entitled to and it agreed to. And you have this choice now about whether you're going to accept that lesser offer, that smaller package, second place. And that's very painful. You know, that's going to hurt. That's going to smart. It doesn't sound like the relationship can continue. It doesn't sound like it will be happy for you to be in this place with her where you are. You come after her girlfriend. So I would encourage you to walk away. If what you want is primacy yourself or equality, when there are multiple partners agreeing to stay in this scenario in this new circumstance is just going to be endlessly painful for you. It's going to make you feel as if you've betrayed yourself or negated yourself in some way. And as if you are participating in your degradation, not that it's degrading to be somebody secondary, but you will experience it as a degradation, as a downgrade, as first class to coach. It's not what you wanted. It's not what you agreed to. It's not what she said that she wanted or she agreed to. But now she knows that it is what she wants, that hierarchy that you reject. Not the only woman on earth, not the only poly woman on earth. So your option isn't her in this lesser role or the void. Your option is her or someone else. And I would encourage you to go find that someone else or someone else's. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to the woman who wanted to know if she had to disclose the fact that she had dabbled in sex work for a brief period of time to her current partner. And um, I really thought your answer was right on, but it definitely seemed to me that she wanted to tell him and that it was part of her story and that it was just like sort of a little anecdotal thing that she could share. And maybe her partner accepting that would feel really good to her. So I would say encourage her to share if she feels like it's something she wants to share and not feel obligated to, to do that. Hi, Dan. Uh, this is a chick who called the other day about the whole not knowing how to give a hand job situation. And so I wanted to let you know that I followed your advice. Um, I had him jerk himself off in front of me. I had him communicate with me and tell me what to do. And then I had him just straight up fuck my hand. And it was all, it was very successful. We had 
fall or sex is a great time. So thank you very much for uh, allowing me to become the mayor of Handjob Town. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Chardonnay Bava tweets, The saddest thing in the world is when people start crying on the phone calls to the Savage Lovecast. I agree. And Nancy Hartunian agrees. It is sad. But we are here to help and we're trying to make those sad people feel not quite so sad. Big thanks to Andreas Baranowski for coming on the show to talk about his research. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy, who's not sad right now, but might be later after she listens to a bunch of your calls. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.